So vosto esta comma facha el cuello namao and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That was apparently a Brazilian expression, Rob Zachney, for you are the knife and the cheese is in your hand, which uh, we could say of either driver. It means that you, you have everything you need to do the thing. As long as nobody makes any mistakes, you will win. What a I great guess, expression. Is that a turf hey man, expression? You, you're the knife. You got the cheese in your hand. You Delicious. Hand. You're with the knife and the cheese. You've got it right there. It's everything you've ever needed just right the, there. Just, oh, the, the, just the paradise of a culture where, like, what's the most relatable way it is being, like, ready to just fuck shit up? <laughs> uh, you know how you feel when you're just holding a nice little block of cheese and a knife? Uh, there's there's a lot of great Brazilian expressions. I really wanted to use this one, um, which uh, unfortunately I couldn't find a reason for it. But it to travel in mayonnaise. Uh, when someone says that you're making no sense, you say your your brain is traveling into mayonnaise, which I thought was quite a as a fan of mayonnaise, but yeah. also you know I can I can appreciate it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, welcome to a, uh, a duo here on Shift F1. Uh, Drew, in his in his relentless pursuit of missing all of the best race recaps, uh, is once again on assignment. Uh, we hope he's doing well. Um, uh, but we have a lot of uh, interesting stuff to talk to you about. But perhaps, as Rob was saying before the recording, uh, the best race weekend of the year and, and possibly for a couple of years. It was an absolute belter in Interlagos. And we don't only have a race to recap, but we also have uh, the sprint qualifying to recap and also a bunch of other crazy rules and incidents uh a lot to cover this week rob yeah uh it was a really packed weekend i don't know how this episode is not going to be three hours long the yeah it's exactly. going to be at a certain point we're just going to stop recording but we have to stop know, exactly we, we have could to, <laughs> we all have to go away as well this is it's too much uh we want to first of all say that if you're new to f1 congratulations for starting this week it doesn't usually uh end up being this exciting but of course we want to direct you towards our preseason primer which is episode 137 of this podcast gives you a breakdown of how f1 works all that good stuff and this podcast is also supported entirely by our patrons over patreon.com slash shift f1 um we have some bonus features coming out uh this month although with the amount of races that are happening right now you're cup flowed over probably with f1 content i want to give a quick shout out to all of our title sponsors jason kelly will romf umberto roca troy stammer circuit demon max voltar reagan sniggs joe roberts abraham getchell jason chadwick abdullah althani bailey foot bpm still rocking those bad puns and or memes drew stewart simon villeneuve David Mule, Josh Haynes, Tractor Share, Gnarly Goat, Iron Station Studios, Erica Siegel, and Pyrite's Card Castle. There you go. Nice. Rob Zachney, we have a lot to talk about. We do. Uh, let's talk, let's briefly, I guess, because it had quite a knock-on effect, or didn't, <laughs> on the, the, the race weekend, uh... You know, this is a sprint race weekend, so we have a bit of practice, and then they are straight into quali. What did you make of quali? Uh, so it was already going to be an interesting one because we knew Hamilton was taking a five-place grid penalty for replacing an engine component, uh, a power a power unit component. And so we knew that like his goal was going to be place high and like basically what they call damage limitation. Yeah. Uh, in terms of try to try to bag points on the sprint race and then uh, limit the damage on race day. I don't think anyone was anticipating uh, what eventually happened, but qualifying. I think um, 
I was surprised. I basically have no idea how to like frame expectations for the Red Bulls and Mercedes. Yeah, I did not expect the Red Bulls uh, to look wrong-footed at this circuit. Um, Absolutely, with that middle sector that this track has, uh, they didn't look particularly sharp, and even uh, Valtteri's uh, car looked terrific uh, throughout throughout the race. So, uh, I I, th- I thought that part surprised me. Like I, I figured, like everything was starting to tip toward Red Bull, and some of the Mercedes find this form. Um, I don't know what were your what was your reaction to quality? Yeah, I I mean last week the same thing happens, right? We talk about it on the the track you know guides for the next race and the thing that i said about mexico is that of course red bull has always had an advantage here that honda power unit really likes to to puff and wheeze up in the high altitudes um uh and you know there's a lot of interesting corners here um, i'm going to probably say the same thing about qatar as we talk about it next because that's a that's a uh, track with ridiculous amounts of turns in it but for whatever reason the advantage that like you said they seem to have in the arena section completely muted by the straights i mean we can get to it in a second hamilton's you could argue the the case of why that was the case because obviously he ended up um getting lambasted for having a drs box that was a little bit too open but as you said valtteri bottas was also very fast and the red bulls were struggling so i'm 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 trying to sort of for the second week in a row the gap that i expected was not there and actually kind of inverted yeah, I think there may also, I think a thing worth pointing out is that it was surprisingly cool on qualifying day yeah. and and uh, and sprint day, uh, I want to say. It really warmed up quite a bit on race day. It did, and so, yeah. like, obviously you're changing a lot of, like, car handling dynamics when you have a situation like that. Uh, but, yeah, the, the Red Bulls, I, I figured, would, would probably have the advantage here, and it turned out to be quite the opposite, even with uh, Valtteri not having the benefit of a uh, new power unit component. The other thing that jumped out at me here is um, this was the race where I actually started feeling genuinely bad for Nikita Mazepin. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, like, on the, like, undeniably, uh, he did something incredibly crass, disrespectful, uh, and, and gross, like, la- like, last year. Never seemed to, like, really make proper amends for it, or even uh, seem to, like, grok what yeah, he did. And also, we, I think a lot of the criticisms we had of Mazepin coming in were based on his behavior in other race series. You know, yes. he's, yes. he's, he's not exactly the most uh, sporting of characters. No, but this was the race where, um, you know, you heard him at the end of qualifying, uh, what an idiot I am, uh, and just beating himself up over a qualifying lap that started well, but, but got away from him and his engineers trying to buck him up. And you figure, okay, well, that's just, you know, some of those guys are disappointed over the, the radio. That's very low filter. Yeah. But then you season. see the interview. Yeah. Guys like, yeah, like a, like a, like a, I felt, I didn't like a lot of the sort of um, what came after it on like the F1 discourse. Um, you know, he was obviously like very visibly upset, crying during the interview. Um, you know, the pressure of the whole thing. I don't want to say that the Mazepin PR department had a win with this one. <laughs> They're like, hey, Nikita, just cry. That That's what'll get people on your side. But yeah, I'm with you. It's it's uh, I, I regardless of how I feel about him, perhaps, I think uh, 
it was hard not to not to feel for him in that moment for sure and just generally it's nice you know to see men be allowed to you know be fragile you know well it was <laughs> in this, interesting in this type of thing i read him responding to people were asking about that moment and part of it was to your to your point like people being weird about like a dude crying uh in the wake of this and, and remember this is nothing new remember when um uh Hakkinen, uh wept following a tough race exit and yeah. he walked around the guardrail and was uh like crying behind the guardrail yeah. by a tree yeah yeah the, ha- the helicopter shot right yeah the, the whatever it was of him yeah and he got roasted for that like <laughs> yeah. this yeah. like i, I think you'd ha- it'd be shocking the degree to which like if you watch the discourse around that moment he to the moment guy fresh from a disappointing race exit uh crying uh he just got dragged for it Mazepin was asked about it and the thing that came out was i don't know he, he's an, he's an odd guy in some ways see the the comment he made i think the the racer had this interview excerpt he was like look there's nothing else in my life but racing like i have nothing right yeah um and i don't know if he means that I think maybe he he may mean that to be a positive, like I'm fully committed here. I'm oh. not sure he knows how deeply sad it sounds. Um, yeah, but he's talking I, I, about I, people are leaving yeah. Haas. Right. He was like, people are like, we're having a lot of people that I worked with, uh, like quit the team. Like people are not prioritizing it. People are going on like paternity. Uh, wow. You know, people are starting families, and like I get it. If I were older, I would I would be doing that too. But like right now. There's a lot of people leaving. Um, and so, like, it just sounds... We... The whole season there has sounded fucking miserable. We always sort of wondered, like, what... This whole... The season where you're just punting. And you're running yeah. a placeholder team hoping for next year. And meanwhile, you're Nikita Mazepin. You come in. Your reputation is shit when you walk in. Nobody's really on your side. There is an attempt to sort of rehab your reputation. But everything goes wrong. Everyone likes your teammate more than you. Uh, and then this team is sort of crumbling around you. And to top it all off, there is the creeping sense that maybe you aren't this good. You know? like Yeah, exactly. You're, maybe you're only there because daddy owns the, the keys to the, the building. <laughs> um, yeah. It was, it yeah. was brutal. Yeah, it was, it was, it was rough. I, I can, hearing all that stuff about Haas actually makes me feel even worse for the two of them. I, we, we talked a lot about, you know, w- with regards to the very long narrative of will, will they, won't they on the Russell, will, uh, Russell Mercedes stuff about how you can kind of leave, there was a, you know, maybe they'll leave Russell in the oven a little bit too long, that like if he's in this Williams too long, that maybe it'll actually end up taking something out of him that you don't want to do if you're going to put him in a, in a potentially race-winning seat. And you have to say, like Schumacher and Mazepin coming out of this year, are they better drivers? Are they worse? Dri- they know the tracks more. They know F1 cars more. They know how the F1 team operates more. But in terms of their like mentality, you know, the grit they've had to go through, like certainly well, it must be taking a bit of a toll. Yeah, and like the analogy I'll make is um because I got I get North American football on the mind a lot, and I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Bears fan. So this year the Bears had this uh, very exciting rookie quarterback join the team, uh, Justin Fields. But there's always this question of like, there's a lot of resources a uh, young developing talent brings with them to a situation, but mm. then the situation will will shape you. And if the situation is bad. It requires I think a lot of strength of character to like. What lessons are you supposed to draw? Because it is in our nature to like amend our instincts and change our expectations based on like 
the things we're learning and the, and the feedback we're getting, the nature of the Haas for years has been it's an inconsistent car that is a nightmare to drive. Yeah. Um, and when I say inconsistent, I mean that like, uh, I think Russell talked a bit about this a couple of years ago in the, in the Williams too, uh, when they were having real struggles, the car will do different things on different laps. Um, even if you are trying to do the same thing. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I think there is another element of like, is that, is that a situation like, even if, like, if you were good, how would you know it? And yeah. as you're developing, is this car like, is it like a tree growing in a really fucked up like patch of sunlight where the entire <laughs> thing's up twisted because like it only gets this like one like angle of sun? Yeah. Drive to Survive, I suspect, has been with them a bit this year, so we'll we'll maybe get some of that insight. Um, we are 14 minutes into this podcast. We have not even started the sprint race, so we better. Oh well, mosey. hold on, hold on, because <laughs> I know, yeah, it's probably the biggest news of the weekend. So actually. the night of, yeah. All right, so Danny, yes, sir. Do you want to talk us through Park from Maygate? Oh my God, is that what we're calling it? No, surely but... the surely there is. I don't even think there is a gate around Park Fermi, which you'd think there would be. You think the gate closing? I would think be they the got those part. little fences things they put yeah. down around it, but yeah, they just pick them up, right? Yeah. So, so they pull the cars in after yes. uh, after quality, which and... is which is normal. You know that is what happens. I mean, it's not. It's a little bit weird this weekend because it doesn't tend to happen on a Friday. But yes, go on. Yeah, and it. Everything appears normal. Like what we see on the TV, everything is fine. And then that night, the stewards announced they're investigating Mercedes for a uh, DRS violation. Now, here's the weird thing. I think that some people had even noticed during the quality session that something looked a little weird with the gap, the little the little mailbox gap that yeah. opens up uh, in the Merc. Um, but... They were investigating it, that it might not be too spec, that that, that thing is supposed to open 80 millimeters. Uh, and they have, like, it's, it's, it's very, they, they, they check it uh, with a sort of precision machined disc. They slide through the gap to make sure it, like, uh, doesn't, it, it has no. If my fist can fit through this, it's too big. Yeah. And so the realization that, like, the, the rules are very clear. If you fail this part of, like, technical conformity, this isn't like a horseshoes type situation, like five yeah. seconds. This is a DQ. Uh, and so everyone knows that, like, strong chance that Hamilton's going to get disqualified. But then as that story emerges, social media turns up the view from the stands where when they're all getting out of their car in Park for May, Verstappen gets out of his car, looks at his rear wing, and then goes over to the Merc. And fucks with it just a little bit, but he fucks with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're not. You can't. You can't be doing that. Like I, 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 I suspect that they had already sort of eyeballed this, that they were aware of it, and that Verstappen was doing a bit of pageantry because why else? He knows that, like, no, like you're, the drivers are allowed, you know. I don't know, fetch their wheel or something, but generally they're not supposed to touch their cars at all, and they're certainly not meant to touch anyone else's. Um, uh, and yeah, so it, it was just this weird, like, uh, like I, I'm sure, like, just for a, for a hot minute, you're kind of like, wait, did 
that Red Bull commits sabotage. Like that, so here's that the, here's seem okay. Like it. Okay. Here's the other thing. Like I know there's no way that like Verstappen could have reached in there and broken the wing or something. Right. But are you aware of how like Mercedes failed that wing inspection by like 0.2 millimeters? That's right, what yeah. the margin was. We're talking like yeah. microns here. You could do that. You could do that. You, you could do that. that. <laughs> you wouldn't have needed to break it. You just need to make it so that it falls out of conformity just a little bit. Like, that's the part that is wild to me. Yeah. Is like, I was like, look, it would be a crazy conspiracy theory to think Verstappen <laughs> messing with that wing could have caused it to fall out of conformity. <laughs> but then when I heard how far it was out of conformity, I was like, shit. <laughs> yeah totally which is why like which is why mercedes brought it up so like i know there was a lot of people saying like oh and now mercedes are saying for stop there's like no that's like this is this is the dance when it comes to like scrutineering like generally you don't hear a lot about this stuff it comes and it goes scrutineering is part of like basically every race uh you know discipline even if you go to your local destruction derby they will make sure that you don't have like concrete blocks hidden in your car. It's it's part of it. And one of the things, as Rob so rightly said, they tend to be very binary, and they need to be because if they're checking, you know, dozens of aspects of these cars every single time, they can't have these gray areas where people are lobbying and doing all this and doing all this. So like when there's a situation where Verstappen has also done something crazy and touched another car like poked around and fingered the drs on the back of hamilton's <laughs> car of course they're gonna mention it. they're trying to get out of the situation so like it's the one time where they have a little bit of wiggle room to be like oh something external affected this this is actually a thing so rightly hamilton was dq from quality even if it's a tiny margin that's just the way the cookie crumbles you play close to the you know, you play close to the fire, sometimes you're going to get a little bit burnt, and they opted to play really close to the fire with that DRS. And rightfully, Verstappen was fined 50 grand for touching the wing. Um, although, how much that affects Max Verstappen, you know, maybe maybe he'll buy one less Christmas present for somebody this year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know. Meaningless. Uh, but, like, when I heard that, when, when that ruling came down uh, Saturday morning, I was like, well, that's the championship. Like, there's no coming back <laughs> from this. Like, no way. Because, like, Hamilton losing the five grid spots for the engine, by the way, whatever he managed to regain during the sprint, he would still have to give back five, five places uh, yeah. because of the, the engine penalties assessed separately. So I was like, that's done. That, goodbye, championship. Like, that just, that that is it. And uh, this is a wrap. Uh, gonna be a pretty boring rest of the season. <laughs> oh, contraire! I think I had PTSD still from um uh from two thousand eight, and I I know never, never to let a sleeping Hamilton lie. I don't know, ne- never to count him out. And I was thinking about. I think I was. So many people were saying like, "Oh, that's the end of the championship." That I sort of I put one. I put a, a bullet in the chamber on Twitter and I, I tweeted the picture of Massa's family celebrating his championship um, at Interlagos in 2008. Um, oh my God. Yeah. As, as, and, I, and I wrote the tweet, uh, Verstappen fans <laughs> celebrating like, a, a, a good <laughs> race great. weekend at Interlagos. Um, hoping that perhaps I could finish, uh, finish the meme later on, uh, which... Uh, 
which to my excitement, um, I was. But it was funny because you could spot people who weren't F1 fans 10 years ago who were like not understanding the context of the screenshot. But I, I, you know, I kind of felt like both there was too, there's too many penalties for him to catch up, but also there's a lot of laps. There's like extra laps. He has 90 laps to figure this out. Um, In a track where overtaking is really like, kind of you can do it in a lot of different places and they have straight line speed down that ridiculous 1.2 kilometer uh for you know straight front straight then there's an opportunity for it i didn't expect what happened at all but i thought like ah he'll probably get like in the points and who knows all you need here is for somebody to you know to go off this is a nasty track to go off in. you can get caught you can get beached here um you know fairly easily especially if it's rained anytime recently but anyway i digress It's been should we jump into the sprint or what? What are you thinking? Yeah, we should we should jump into the sprint because uh, here's here's the other thing. If you don't have Hamilton back there uh, trying to work miracles, once again, I'm not sure it's an exciting sprint race. Um, yeah, I, like I'm not entirely sure. I saw a ton of really dynamic, like great racing action, and I think the real tell here is, uh, like Valtteri gets a really clean getaway uh, from the start, puts the puts the balls behind him. And for a little bit, like, Verstappen looks like he might have the horses to get in striking distance and and make an attack. Um, he can't or won't. And I think that's kind of the dynamic of these sprint races, is that even if, you, like, if you've got, like, valuable track real estate, valuable track position, uh, people are not going to risk a whole lot during the sprint race uh, yeah. to to get these, to notch these wins. And so, like, I, I feel like they're at the front, uh, even though maybe the Bulls could have made more of an attack than they did, uh, I sort of felt like they were hedging and holding their fire for tomorrow. Um, and so, like, I, it, it was an exciting sprint race, but I think, once again, that is because somebody was wildly out of position. Yeah, um, he he actually before the race started, before the sprint started, he um, did you notice Hamilton kind of taking his time getting up to the grid box? Yeah, yeah, it's something he did. Uh, you know, not 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 just once this race weekend, which I thought was you know typical gamesmanship, trying to eke out as much as he could, maybe cool down those tires at the front uh, for Verstappen. But yeah, like you said, uh, Verstappen, um, Bottas got past him on turn one. Signs had a great start, um. The he qualified in fifth behind Gasly and Perez, but had gotten past both of them, um, fairly sharpish. Uh, Verstappen was wide on turn four as well, but so were both Ferraris. So Signs ended up getting past Verstappen into third, splitting the Red Bulls. Um, I th- I think is what how that ended up shaking out. Um, but there was a lot of uh, a lot of cars went wide on that first turn, which you know, or sorry, that fourth turn, which we'll get to again later on. Um, yeah. Not too many notes for this one, to be honest. Like you said, a lot of it is Hamilton. Uh, Raikkonen spun on turn two. Himself and Giovinazzi had a bit of a, an unfortunate tangle there. Um, by the fourth lap, Hamilton is into 13th from 20th. He's overtaking a lot of cars that are, you know, never going to be at pace with the Mercedes. Uh, by lap eighth, he's passed Alonso into 11th. Uh, lap nine, Norris tries to get past Leclerc on turn one and has a bit of an awkward sort of lunge, but ends up doing it on um, turn four. Uh, there is the sort of like, the, it's not a double DRS zone, but if you were anyway close to them, 
at the end at turn one you're basically guaranteed drs on the exit of turn three and that straight is fairly long too so um the exiting on those second and third corners is a big part of whether or not you're going to get overtaken on fourth um along with the toe and everything else uh, which comes up quite a lot uh lap 13 hamilton fast ricardo into 10th position he's now in the points uh, he gets past Vettel and Ocon, then past Gasly into seventh on lap 17. I think there's seven laps left at this stage. Um, Hamilton does get past Leclerc into sixth on turn four on lap 20. And then the best of the bunch, overtake of the day, Hamilton past Norris into fifth on the final lap at turn one. That was, he has just, the, Hamilton wins, you know, regardless of the Mercedes power unit, and the track being favorable for some sort of overtaking, his ability to uh, not lock brakes is is just insane to me. And I, that turn, I could not believe he went for it, and I could not believe he got out of it as well as he did. The there, there's a couple things like one, okay, that power unit was doing work. Like it definitely looked like in a racing game where the AI is set down like by 10%. So they just don't like they top out at a lower speed. And so you just like hoover them up and feel like a badass. That's what Hamilton was kind of doing. But here's the part that didn't track for me. Like I understood he had the straight line speed, the cornering to your point, the braking and the cornering was just unreal. Like that car looked so planted and sure-footing, sure-footed, it was eerie. Uh, the Norris Pass was one thing. The thing that really sort of made it hit home for me, what Hamilton is getting from that car and what that car can do, when he passed Vettel, um, yeah, you can see, and and like I don't think Vettel was having a particularly bad race, but like Vettel's car has a very recognizable amount of understeer. It, like that car has to negotiate corners in a way that I think a lot of us can recognize. Like, yeah, that's how a car goes around a tight corner. Hamilton's appears to be like a slot car th- throughout that lap, where like he is able to just attack these corners deep and then just like go around the outside line, maintain speed, and just exit cleanly without slipping at all. It's eerie, and I don't think I don't think Botas was getting that out of the car. His car didn't look like that. There was something about like, yeah. Hamilton's ability to like control those brakes and like hit those corners perfectly, leaving no speed on the table. It was unreal to see. And it, it becomes decisive during race day. I didn't think he'd be able to keep that going for two days in a row. Uh, but yeah, it, it was kind of a shocking thing because it, it did kind of show when you have the engine, the setup, and Hamilton all working perfectly, that car is in a different race than everyone else. Yeah, uh, I we'll probably talk about it at the end of the race, but a large conversation happening with people saying like, "What? What was it? That was, you know, was it the driver? Was it the new engine? Was it this? Was it the setting? Like, they, they clearly found something this weekend because that car was not the same car we had a month ago. It wasn't the same car that was last week. It could be just a particularly well dialed in." car for Interlagos I guess we'll see in the next couple of races we've we've a lot of wild cards coming up though a lot of tracks we've never been to so it's going to be hard to sort of see either way but there was there was something special about like you said this was this was Mercedes from last year where they're just untouchable where the car is just you know like you said it's 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 a leap ahead of everyone else on the track um which is weird because we we were looking at that car being a car that they were either either setting up for quality or race um for the past couple of weeks, but 
they had everything this weekend. Well, Interlagos, that is also a circuit that I can't quite, again, like wrap my head around because, you know, first of all, it's wild to me they were thinking of replacing that circuit with uh, sort of a, it's a that Rio circuit. Like, why Absolutely. would you do that? Yeah. The First of all, also the acoustics of that place, because the whole thing is built on a hillside like an amphitheater, the fact that like every single racing move is accompanied by like a crowd just like roaring in a way <laughs> yeah. you do not hear elsewhere. It's like the Coliseum. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Just it can't be beaten. But then the other part is, the, you know, by some lights the track is a little small. It's a short lap um, for by F one standards, and we've seen like short lap tracks do tend to be tough to overtake. At the field tends to get really spread out and like become really disengaged. That doesn't happen at Interlagos, and I think it must be yes that that run, uh, you know, through the back straight that sweeping back curve. Uh, up to one and then uh, down down from three, I think that must like according in the field back together uh, mm. with you know whatever's being sort of spaced out in the in the uh, in in sector two, but but yeah, it's like it doesn't even behave like other shorter tracks. Uh, the 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 whole field remains sort of engaged and in contention yeah. from flag to flag. Um, just it's 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 a perfect track and it's. The thing that killed me is I cannot believe we used to, this used to be the the season ender and I cannot believe we gave it up. <laughs> I know it's uh, yeah, especially yeah. Well, again, it'll come up later, I'm sure. But like, this is the weirdest end to a season where we've had in forever because we have two races we've never been to. Like it's just yeah. huge question marks hanging over them. Um, and also both of them are completely different in terms of grip level because one hasn't been resurfaced in about eighteen years, and the other one. I had the surface put down this afternoon, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow. Um, yeah, exactly. Hopefully. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to skip the uh, sprint results. Uh, they're basically the same as the starting grid, except Hamilton's been pushed five back. So the starting grid we're going to get for the race is Valtteri Bottas in first. He wins. What do we call it? Is it is it pole? Is it? Yeah. Is, yeah, I guess. He, he, does, he gets a wreath. They all got like Christmas wreaths. Uh, but it wasn't the it wasn't the podium, it was just right. a celebration. So stupid. Um, Verstappen's in second, Sainz in third, uh, um, Perez in fourth, Norris repping the McLarens in fifth, uh, Leclerc in sixth, Gasly seventh, Ocon eighth, Vettel ninth, Hamilton uh, with that five place group penalty, which he knew because of the power uh, unit replacement. Um, is five places back from where he would have been. Uh, the bottom ten, Ricardo, another rough weekend for the, for him. Um, in eleventh, Alonso twelfth, Giovinazzi thirteenth, doing well there. Maybe his last time at Interlagos. Stroll in fourteenth, Sonoda fifteenth. First time Yuki's ever driven here. Um, it's a, it's not one a lot of the lower uh, series go to because it's pretty far. Uh, Latifi in sixteenth, out qualified Russell actually. I should mention for the first time this season. Um. For the sprint, so in 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 capital Q qualifying, he actually uh, did better than Russell for the first time this year. Um, Schumacher in 18th, Mazepin in 19th, and Kimi never recovered from the spin that he got on lap two, and unfortunately starts at the back. Um, all right, should we get into the race? Yeah. Okay, Hamilton slow to the line once again. This time he's in 10th though, so he's just pissing Can't off. Can't be too whoever. slow. 11th is Ricardo, is it? Yeah. So yeah, I I have to look this up again because there used to be a rule. I think Rundle said it last week. It was 30 seconds from the first car to the last car. I'm not sure if 
something has changed safety wise or 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 more cars yeah. wise but for whatever reason i guess hamilton's allowed to do that now um and then we get down to the first turn rob do you want to do the first turn or should i do the first turn yeah i mean it, it's um it's pretty dramatic uh, it looks like a pretty even start maybe even valtteri got a better start but it doesn't really matter because we end up with uh max on the inside sort of neck and neck uh with, with valtteri heading down into one uh i think prez gets a great jump here on uh signs as well right um as as he's following up the turn one i think yeah i think you're right because then he has another one on turn four yeah uh, signs got in a little bit of an argy bargy when norris is what happened um Norris tried to go up the inside right. yes and he just kind of disaster disaster yeah, he just he turned in too early like like a signs was signs squeezed him a bit but had let space and then Norris like did the overtake and basically just turned in on well Carlos. and also Norris had to go off the track to do that overtake right he did, like he's right. got one wheel over the white line to get it done so he's like trying to really create a lane where one doesn't really exist and signs doesn't move really effectively um and nor should he have had to, right? So it's like it was a really aggressive move, but it ends up being sort of decisive for Norris because he does turn in and he ends up with one's really unfortunate. His front wheel is collected by Sainz's uh, back wheel, and it just it rips his tire open. Uh, there's a spot, so Norris goes straight to the back of the grid, uh, grid uh, after yeah. after the first uh, lap. But so heading down into one. You got Max and Valtteri uh, sort of neck and neck, and Valtteri starts to turn in. And Max doesn't give him any room, really. Uh, they sort of race side by side, but uh, Botas ends up forced wide. And crucially, uh, the whole track was dusty as hell. Uh, it's, it felt yeah. like the wind had kicked up uh, that day, but the entire the, the entire track like had a lot of grit uh, blowing across it. So when uh, Botas got sort of forced wide, he's forced wide. In a puff of like dust and gravel, and so at that point, his it, it certainly seemed like his tires were compromised uh, from there, and so he becomes easy pickings for Perez uh, as Perez rolls up, and uh, like Valtteri just doesn't have the grip level to contest the corner. Uh, so yeah. he, like I, I think he was sort of left a sitting duck uh, by that by that little runoff. Um, I. I what did you think of the amount of racing room that was left? Which on turn one? Or? Yeah, um, it's always it's always weird on the first lap. Yeah, because um, Interlagos is a funny circuit because it's very wide about halfway through that straight. <laughs> when you're coming up the turn, because yeah. also the pit the pit lane opens up there. There's just a little bit more room, and then the Senna S's, the first one is very tight and there's a lot of runoff. So it does sort of funnel everyone. Yeah. And also F1 cars don't turn like that. So there's just like, it always closes up. So I think Norris, for instance, I think Norris tucked in on signs because he realized, oh, well, he knew that if I go around on the outside on this turn, I'm in no man's land coming, but like I'll have to barge onto the track and hit someone. Or, so that's why he did that. And yeah, it was just good, clean overtaking, I think. Um, like you said, uh, uh, Verstappen had it relatively easy. And But the problem is, is that first turn, if you don't get a good entrance on that, it kind of operates a little bit like um, yeah. 
you know, Monza or a place where if you don't get a good exit on the chicane or the back of Monza going towards the Parabolica, you're going to have trouble getting that speed. And the same case here, if you get a bad entrance onto two, it means your exit on three is compromised, which means your straight line down the the rest of it is compromised. Um, what we actually see on turn four is Bottas, Leclerc and Sainz all, probably because of the dust and the track is kind of like both hotter than yesterday and also the tires are, are cool. Um, all of them have trouble getting around turn four. Um, Perez, like you said, gets past him into second there. Um, meanwhile, Hamilton, by the end of this lap, has gone from 10th to 6th already. So, yeah, you know, he was gobbling there are people gaps. up at the start. Absolutely nuts. Uh, Norris pits on lap two, 5.9 seconds. They take off the wheel, but they also check because there was a decent shout that he had some sort of damage to suspension, but it seems like he's all right, so they put him back out there. Um, by lap three, Hamilton has passed signs into fifth, does it on turn one, fairly easy. His overtakes on this, um, on the straight, much like in the sprint race, are for the most part sort of done and dusted by the time he gets into the braking zone on turn one. I think that's the, the shocking part is he's not throwing himself down the inside like the back straight on Austin or something. He's he's just overtaking him. <laughs> yeah, this was the theory was he would just not be able to carve through the uh, top 10 positions on the field the way he could in the back. And that is just proving not to be the case. Uh, and then we kind of have our first of uh, a, a, a couple really impactful uh, incidents on the track. Tsunoda uh, gets into Stroll. And it's not a, it's, it's a clumsy move. It's, it's Tsunoda trying a corner that he doesn't really have. Um, and ends up causing a collision. Uh, but more more crucial is the fact that he leaves basically an entire front wing uh, <laughs> out there, like right on the edge of the track, and that ends up being enough to bring out a safety car. Um, and so right there you have tire strategy kind of being altered because there's a number of people, uh, not the front runners, but there's a number of people who do like opt to dive in there and get on fresh tires, but the thing, but the thing is, it's going to set in motion further events that are going to change, like that are going to move the tra- move the sur- move the race off of uh, normal running. Yeah, there was um, Yuki said, "What did he say? He was not looking at all." He said, "You so noted it." To his no, I think, I think Stroll actually. I think I thought it was Stroll who was like, "He didn't even look at me. He didn't even look for me." Well, Sonoda said that too. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, but, but in a sort of a you know ridiculous defense, because as you said, he basically just like threw it down the inside, and Stroll was lucky his car kept going. Uh, right before the safety car happened, though, was when they asked Bottas to invert the cars on turn yes. one, which meant that Valtteri in fifth, pl- sorry, in fourth place, is going to give up his place to Hamilton. Uh, Bottas really sacrificing a decent amount of time to do this he had to slow down quite a lot to get hamilton up to him to let him overtake uh, but as you said the um everyone sort of throws it into the pits um the general uh, consensus is mediums at this stage uh they don't have that many hard tires going into this race i don't think um but um they're so they're all they're all having a bit of mediums is likely a two-stopper um Inchilagos can be you know as short as the lap is it can be quite a long race um Lap nine, the safety car comes in. Verstappen goes as late as humanly possible, basically, um, only accelerating when he reaches the start-finish line, uh, just because, again, the Mercedes have such 
strong straight line speed. Hamilton's in fourth right now. Um, so they're trying to cover him off. So at the front you have, what is it? It's Verstappen, Perez, I think it's Sainz. Um, and then Hamilton, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so off they go. Nomad overtakes. Everyone sort of um, uh, keeps their position. Lap 11, we have Schumacher oversteering into Raikkonen on turn one. Really yeah. unfortunate. The two of them have had a lot of like good battles, and Schumacher just gets a little bit of oversteer and, and ends up correcting and kind of just knocking into the side of Raikkonen, which is a bit of a shame. Um, Unfortunately, big shame for Schumacher is that he ends up driving the rest of this lap with the terrifying specter right. of, a, of a front wing sitting under his car, which we all know was a Canada 2011 when... Uh, was it? It wasn't Kibitza. It was someone else. Yeah, it was driving in the, and and the front. You know, the the wing came off and launched their car, and they went straight off. Um, so there's always that worry. Uh, he ended up actually getting back around, but he just left a sort of trail of carbon fiber all over the place, um, which required a virtual safety car. Um, and then something I really want to get your feedback on. Uh, what did you make of the? the the delta between Hamilton and Perez because it they said once they released them that Perez had like created a gap I thought Hamilton was being weirdly close to Perez the whole way during the same I was like there's no way he was that close to Perez when they called a virtual safety car surely uh, he was the the virtual safety car got called very fast it got called real fast um so they were pretty close I think the issue was Verstappen added more of a gap to Perez then looked entirely uh, looked entirely in keeping with the spirit of the VSC. So I think there were a bit of, there was a bit of, is Red Bull perhaps taking advantage of a situation where the field is supposed to be frozen? But VSC rules are, like, enforced a little bit loosely. Like, the thing is you can't go too fast. But if you are... But if you are going judiciously slow, uh, maybe just a little slower than you need, uh, you're allowed to do that. Like, they give you more latitude on the slow side than they do <laughs> right. on the fast side. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it, it did It did kind of feel like maybe Red Bull was trying to eke out a little bit of track position. But it ends up being, like, it ends up leaving Perez in a really uncomfortable situation. And it was like this cracked me up when they went when they resumed normal racing. Uh, <laughs> Hamilton is all over Perez at the start, and you have Perez calling in on the radio, uh, begging them basically to have Verstappen drop back and get into DRS range of Perez, <laughs> so they didn't give him a toe and they can stay ahead of Hamilton. And that's not even acknowledged. It doesn't sound like it's just not like the, that's not in the cards they're trying to bank whatever they can in terms of uh verstappen being away being able to drive away in clean air um i guess it's a fun what if had they tried to just can you keep the drs train going the entire circuit the entire grand prix would that have been enough to keep hamilton back probably not because pit stops factor in either way they weren't going to chance it uh verstappen tries to drive <laughs> off into the distance Perez ends up putting on a hell of a fight, though. He and Hamilton have a great fight, and the the thing that really Perez is such a nightmare to pass because it's not just that he's he makes the car pretty wide, but also he is so good at the uh, sort of 
return fire uh, passing attempt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and we see this. Hamilton finally gets into striking distance and just ro- finally rolls up on Perez. This is like lap uh, 18, 18, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Rolls up on Perez, gets him into turn one. Uh, they go through this, the Senna S as Hamilton just narrowly aside. But crucially, Hamilton was ahead by the time they hit DRS detection too. And so you see Perez's wing snap open and he gets Hamilton back on the straight. And for a minute there, you're like, was that it? Because is Hamilton going to be able to do this twice? And the answer is yes, because Perez appears to have used up both all his battery and maybe all his tires <laughs> yeah. uh, doing this. Because the next lap, like he, yes, he leads Hamilton back around. And then is a sitting duck uh, the next the next lap like it doesn't even take to turn one uh, for the for the overtake, but it was um you know I think Perez bought all the time he you reasonably could have expected and then probably a lap that you unreasonably could have expected, uh, but it was done. Yeah, fascinating to see uh, really at this stage in the in the season both you know number two drivers as it were like playing their part in the championship, you know, Bottas letting him pass, uh, you know, Perez did want sort of shake and bake with Verstappen perhaps, but, but at least he also did, you know, play his part in getting in the way. But ultimately we're back here again in the position we find ourselves in a lot with one of Verstappen and Hamilton being in first, one being in second, and the pit stops probably going to do have a big factor who goes first, you know, who tries to eke out more um, life out of the tires, all that sort of stuff. Um, So for the next six laps, we have a bit of a breather. Not all that much happens. And then the pit window opens up again. Hamilton comes in, um, goes from his mediums onto hards on lap 27. Uh, So then the next lap, Verstappen replies, same thing, off his mediums onto hards. Comes out ahead of Hamilton, but the gap has been reduced significantly. Um, Hamilton is now within eyesight of Verstappen where he I think it's within DRS range actually yeah, like Verstappen it, it comes really? out and it is like I, I want to say like they're they're in they're already in the DRS zone uh, Perez had pitted just around now but then we had Stroll something happened another piece of his car popped off or something perhaps uh, because of the so probably event? damage from earlier it looks like the floor uh, on the left side ah. pod just kind of explodes um, on lap 30. And that brings out the VSC, but remember that slows down the field by 40%. And so that creates this window where Valtteri is perfectly positioned to just take advantage of this. He dives into the pits and now comes out effortlessly ahead of Perez. And so now Perez is taken out of the uh, fight with the Mercs. Yeah, just a very advantageous uh, cheap pit stop, as Brundle put it. Uh, for Valtteri Bottas. Um, uh, Hamilton on the radio saying we can't let ourselves get undercut again. Um, uh, that, was, that was Verstappen. Yeah, sorry, what did I say? Hamilton? Yeah, it was oh, sorry. Verstappen who was, no, yeah, he was very panicky. He's like, don't let that happen again. Um, uh, and a brisk response from the Red Bull engineer. <laughs> well, he's a pretty stern guy anyway. Um, then we have another interesting message on lap 40 coming from Bono, who asks, if we pitted, what tire would you like to Hamilton? To which Hamilton responds, uh, check my switch, which basically means that he is going to let them know via the dials on his wheel so as not to telegraph what tire they are going to put on, which I thought was, um, you know, interesting, although also, 
you know, kind of par for the course a little bit. Like, I'm surprised Bono even asked, but, you know, that's that was a kind well, of cool little bit of insight. So the other thing, though, is that, like, by that point, Mercedes has had time to hear Verstappen's message, and they know he's sweating the undercut. And I kind of wondered, is this, legit, is this a legit inquiry? Right. Or are they trying to get an already antsy Red Bull team to go into the pits a little bit sooner on the stint than they might otherwise. And it does seem to kind of work a trick uh, because it's shortly after that that we're stopping boxes. Like, that message yeah. goes out One from life. Merck. Mm. And, yeah, and, and Verstappen uh, dives in, um, having, having sort of stayed ahead of uh, Hamilton that entire time. And then, yeah, this next cycle gets a little bit uh, tricky. They call Valtteriin. And he asks, "Are you sure? Are you sure about this?" He's not. He's not happy with the move. Um, Valtteri seems to think that they could stay out on hards this whole track. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I, I wasn't sure because it was like, if there's anyone I trust on tires, probably it is Hamilton at this point. But uh, Brundle made an interesting point, which is that the loading is so lopsided at Interlagos that mm. no matter what you do, the right rear is going to like get really like brutally scrubbed uh throughout the race and we really really worn down and so even if you're like a master on brakes and tires you're still going to have your right rear just completely uh lose traction at key points in the track and that will make you undrive like it will render the car basically undrivable at high speed around in so Valtteri is advocating for like, well, couldn't we just go into race management mode? Uh, Brundle's point is that the nature of Interlagos, unlike a lot of other uh, circuits, is that you can't really manage tires in that way just ca- just because of how everything on this track pushes uh, out to the right uh, on your car. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of deep turns, a lot of camber turns. Like it's just like you said, it's 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 not one that you can sort of manage that type of wear on and there's a lot left to go like there's 30 laps to go and i think they by this stage they would have had the mediums in which looked like pretty worn and granted the hards are are definitely the track for the day at this stage especially with the heat that's in the but i don't think anyone's assuming that they're going to go that far Uh, in any case as you said um sorry bonus comes in onto hards on 42 um everyone has good pits the only one who had a weird pit was verstappen almost uh, Latifi came out ahead of him right at the yeah. end of pit lane, which didn't help. Um, but as you said, Fatas on 42, pits, uh, Perez does the same thing, comes out on hards, um, it comes out way behind Bottas at this stage. So that's that's yeah, sort of done and dusted. Uh, Hamilton comes on to hards, um, complains that he had asked for mediums. Um, yeah. But uh, Bono says that the wear was higher than they expected on the mediums. So they say this is the tire for the race. Which, which seems, seems like the right the call. Like They probably yeah. saved his race there. Uh, because exactly. it does seem like the, the wear was high. And uh, yeah, I think his thinking that uh, he would have maybe one shot on the mediums and then could go into race management. There was a lot of racing left to, left to happen. And man, the duel that's about to ensue is not easy. Yeah. Um, uh, we're almost there. Bata says, you know, adamant still that they have, um, you know, as he said, thrown away an easy one too. Again, not sure if you'd say that having seen the 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 race since. But a couple of laps later, on lap forty eight, we we have the moment we've all been waiting for: Verstappen defending against Hamilton. So, 
let's talk about this whole thing. Let's get the turn one part out of the way, I guess. So Hamilton's uh, skill here is, well, okay, he tries it on turn one, kind of. He does this thing where he kind of dukes up the inside to make Verstappen cover the inside and then goes around the right side of the track so he's on a better line entering turn two and three, almost just using turn one to set up four. Yeah. Um. So as they do that, Verstappen is still ahead. They go down the straight. Hamilton uh, with the better line, faster car, DRS, the toe, the whole thing. Um goes around the outside of Verstappen, entering turn four. Verstappen understeers, let's say, entering the turn, breaks late, goes a little bit wide. Uh, Hamilton has to drive around the outside of him, as he's still, he was ahead. Way but off. But, well, yeah, way off. Like, over the curb, deep into the runoff zone. Hamilton has to defend similarly and go deeper into the runoff zone. Um, Verstappen retains the position, but of course, anyone who's looking at that is like, well, the the one thing that say would have saved Verstappen's position happened, which is that he missed the apex. But then he missed the he missed he missed the apex and then some because he drove through uh, and 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 decided to take this incredibly wide line, which you know there's not really much of a case for unless you're trying to defend somebody on the outside of you. Um, so. We will say that they, they say that it has been noted. Michael Massey said it's been noted. And eventually on lap 54, we hear that no investigation is necessary. So let's hit pause there and talk about this. Because this basically became the sort of um, the, the, the conversation piece of the entire weekend. There was a minor fracas on the Shift F1 Discord about this thing as the, the Hamilton and Vettel fans came to a, a boiling point. Um, it was all over Twitter. Uh, what did you think, first of all, Rob, of the incident uh, as you saw it? And have has your opinion changed given oh, man. So, time or anything? <laughs> there's a couple things about this. Uh, first of all, I don't know if this has been corrected. Verstappen's in-car wasn't... Like, you can't see his... like. The in-car camera, where if you go to the F1 TV app, you pretty much get an uninterrupted view of the driver's yeah. perspective. Like, you see what their hands are doing. You see their forward-looking perspective of the entire race. Verstappen's, it goes to the... At that moment, it goes to the shot we saw on TV where the where the director had gone to the rear-facing camera and was showing Hamilton closing from behind. So we didn't have a view of what Verstappen is doing in the cockpit. So immediately, you're in conspiracy theory land. I don't know if that... <laughs> if that uh, Video has been as that is that finally shown up in terms I of I have like, still not seen it. I, I mean, haven't yeah. seen it either. However, to me, it certainly looks like you can judge his steering angle from Hamilton's forward-looking point of view. Uh, you see the angle that Hamilton's tires are at, and he has a less acute angle to make than Max. Max's tires look pretty straight, um, mm. and so from my perspective, like it is astonishing that they didn't even review it. Like I could understand how you could review it and say like you know what, we're not going to touch this. This is the championship on the line. We're not going to touch it. I'm not sure that's in keeping with how they've officiated the rest of the season, uh, but we'll get to that in a second. But the fact they didn't even review it is really weird to me. Uh, yeah. On top of that, I do think we know what this is. 
Like, yeah. if you see this happen on F1 track, <laughs> there's not a lot of ambiguity here. It doesn't even need to be, able to be about a Max thing, though we know who he is, too, like, when it comes to how he tends to race. But, like, when you see this happen, this is how you defend a position that you've basically lost. And he had. Like, Hamilton had all the speed. He had the position. This pass was done, and it had been fairly earned. Like, it had taken several laps to pull up in that direction. And in F1, most of the time, this one shot is all you will get. I think F1 is very lucky that Hamilton had enough pace in that car and the tires had enough wear that they would later be able to mount a second attack on Max because if this had gone like any other F1 race probably should, this is the entire strategy builds this one moment where you get a shot to take a guy. And he doesn't try to make the corner. And he just runs you out and he holds on to the position. Mm. Yeah, I think given if if I was to if you were to separate any take the championship out of the equation and even take the drivers out of the equation and you look at this and you've watched any amount of F1, it is as clear as day as <laughs> what's happening here. You know, this is this is not the first time Max has taken this corner. This isn't they're not on old tires. They've just pitted. They are driving, you know, they they know the track. He's not making this much of a mistake. Um, they are very skilled drivers. And as Rob said, again, I think if we could see the in-camera and see where his steering wheel was pointed, we would be able to wrap it. It's the only bit of ambiguity in this entire thing. But I don't begrudge Max for doing this. I think this was probably the smart thing to do as mm-hmm. a racer. Like, what else is he going to do? He's going to have to concede the position. Yeah. Um, Once Hamilton's it's, ahead, it's done. It it's is done. done. He's faster in sector two, but there's nowhere to overtake, as we saw with Hamilton. <laughs> Hamilton likes to get argy-bargy here too, um, especially if uh, Alexander Albon is on the on the track. So, like, as we saw, unfortunately, a couple of years back, there is no, really no place to overtake within sector three unless you're being ridiculously aggressive. Um and and they don't they're not going to be able to do it in the back straight and I feel like or the front straight and I, yeah so I don't begrudge Max trying to do it but no especially because this all unfolds in in real time maybe three tenths of a second where like the decisions are made where he yeah. sees where Hamilton is going to pull up on the outside because Hamilton does have position but it isn't like decisive it's not like no. he's leading cleanly into the corner um, he's not ahead of him which he was with practically everyone else. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he's a bit ahead. I think he's got he's I, got I mean, the he's got the I line, mean, his, and I think his, his front yeah. wheels are maybe ahead. But either way, yeah, it's I mean, not his like his rear wheels weren't ahead of. Yeah, he wasn't clear. No, wheels. yeah, no, not yeah. at all. Yeah, and so like I I don't begrudge Max like too much for that, but but I do think like again the whole season F one's basically taking this attitude that like look you have to give people a fair chance to overtake, yeah. and if you don't do that, then we are going to take away the advantage you gained by not giving them room and give you typically like a five-second penalty. I think the Silverstone uh, example here is instructive where you could see Hamilton was trying to make the corner. The argument from Red Bull is that he just couldn't. He was going too fast in the wrong line. He couldn't have, but you can't say he is trying, and Max is coming in with the racing line, and they touch. They did dock Hamilton for that, um, for, for not racing cleanly. This seems like a similar sort of situation where, like, Hamilton has the line. Uh, Max is not going to make that corner if he's even trying. 
Uh, and once again, the only reason there's not a major collision there is because Hamilton backs all the way out. And that's the other part, is that this turns into a... Uh, I don't know, the F1 drivers are supposed to channel this the spirit of Senna and just be like, fuck it. Like, if we crash, we crash. Like, <laughs> that's not what we want, and you shouldn't have to. Like, no. if you have like, a championship on the line, I don't think... I don't think either these guys should necessarily be, like, flipping the coin to see, uh, like, how is this, you know, <laughs> how is this going to shake out? Um, and so and Hamilton think, has to back out there. Yeah, and I think that's the worrying thing, is that, like, to me, I don't... Hamilton is not at fault, obviously, for anything in this regard. Um, Verstappen, I, you can see the tactics behind it. I don't begrudge him doing it, but it's, like, pretty... I don't know, It's it seems very obvious what's what, what he's doing just the the degree to how far he went out because the issue here is that like he kept he wanted to keep the pace to keep the position which is why he has to take this outrageous line which kept him out in the runoff really far for a long time that's why hamilton ends up like coming back on the track through the grass there which is nowhere in, you know it's a really large runoff area so like it's it's obvious that he's trying to retain the position and yeah. keep hamilton on the outside the, the bad guy in this i think is the, are the stewards like, yes. i i don't understand how you don't even no look investigation at investigation necessary like if they touched i think by the book they would have to have done an investigation but because it's clean i don't know what well but it's not it's, clean it, they don't touch because one yeah. guy goes all the way he was basically a different zip code from the track <laughs> like that's this yeah it that part like it was so weird given how they've been very willing to intervene in other places and this week right. it's like you know let them race uh, I will say, so two things. Uh, first of all, FIA confirmed since then, they didn't look at anything we, we, like, that we couldn't see. Uh, Massey okay. confirmed after, like, nobody had access to that camera angle that we've been talking about, like seeing uh, Verstappen's uh, like perspective wild. or his telemetry. The stewards made the decision without having seen any of that, so they only had to go off. Uh, the same shots we had on broadcast, which weren't like entirely definitive, but certainly seemed like there was enough for investigation. So the notion, I think on Sky TV, they were saying, well, you know, they have more information than we do. Not when they made the call not to investigate. And then just to maybe close the loop on this in particular, uh, like literally as we're sitting down to record, Mercedes now has got a motion uh, before the stewards to reopen the investigation. Yeah. Uh in light of new evidence, which I don't know what that new evidence is. My assumption is maybe that video turned up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And th that was the scuttlebutt, I think, after the race as well. And I was, I, I, I think I was fairly confident that, so that angle exists. Like, it's not like the global director. Wait, breaking. We've got it. Oh, yeah? We've got the video. Oh, really? Yep. Wow. Okay. Can you, can you send it to me? Yep. We'll do it. This is a first for us. We'll do it live here on the podcast. Um, okay, this is posted by, um, F1 themselves, every angle on their lap 48 battle. Oh, shit. Ooh. He's, he's really he's ahead. Oh, Hamilton's, well, mm, Hamilton's quite far ahead as they enter the braking zone. Ham Verstappen breaks much, much later and... Yeah, there's there's definitely a bit of understeer, but it's not. What do you make of it? There's more understeer than I than I assumed. Yeah. Uh. All right. So when is he? Okay. So Hamilton's. 
Okay, yes. so for me, it actually like begins before you're even getting really into the corner, as they both begin to break. Verstappen is not trying to make that corner. Like I think there's no. actually less braking motion than you'd expect to see. Yeah, and then he, so given his speed, he is. Yeah, yeah dude, he's just kind of holding the car yeah. pretty far open. Uh, there's, there's less understeer because he's not trying to take yeah, the turn. Like that's, it, that's why it doesn't look close, Danny. <laughs> no, like it's yeah. I was I was expect. I'm like, why isn't he? I'm expecting there to be some more understeer because I'm like, oh, because he's trying to make the turn. But no, he's not trying. To make this that's is the like point. When, the point is you, he's not trying to make the turn. This is like when you don't turn the racing line on for a circuit you haven't driven before. Like levels of like, oh shit. <laughs> Guess I just went to that. Yeah, the uh, first time he actually turns the, the wheel in, if I'm gonna hit pause when he when he actually does like what I could what feel, and I'm not a racing driver, but like, yeah, I mean, like they're like <laughs> he's like deep into the corner not, by the time he he's turns. not like, slowing down, no, and he's not turning, because yeah. uh, you can see the angle he's taken points well off the track. Like he's not, yeah. he's not. I think there's a bit of understeer, but I think there's also just the fact he is not steering. Um, yes, the the difference between understeer and not steer. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I again, I think, I think Mercedes would have a case for him getting like a, what a five second penalty for it or something. But I do, I do think they'd have support on the paddock because I think this is a weird. I don't think drivers want this to be okay. I don't begrudge Max for doing it. Yeah. But the fact that they didn't investigate this. I hope is just some sort of like clerical error because they didn't have enough information because we can't have a situation where this is a where we're like suddenly not being able to take turns well despite being you know one of the best drivers in in living history is is a good excuse for keeping a position you know what I mean um yeah as Rob said this ultimately ends up being a moot point. Hamilton tries again on turn four and lap 58. Ultimately, that was lap 59. Hamilton does the fake out thing on turn one again. It's my favorite thing he does. He just like jumps up the inside. Hamilton sort of bites because he doesn't want him. And then he just gets a much better exit. Um, Has it nailed in on turn four, um, much like he did with Perez before the apex. So he's ahead of him. Um, That's what. Yeah. Sorry, go on. I was actually really surprised that he was able to battle back because there was a period there after that after that incident where um, he gets forced wide that he sort of had to drop back and I was like that's probably it. I was really shocked when suddenly he just like zipped in like within three tenths of Verst- Verstappen uh, heading heading down uh, heading heading down the main straight. His tires are older, <clears throat> only by a lap, but yeah, yeah, it's but it, it's just. Um, the fact that the Mercedes was able to reel that in, despite like he, because also he's driving this entire stint basically on Max's back bumper. So like again, what we know about F one car should be, you know, he's he's getting sh- shitty aerodynamics, uh, and probably it's being taken out of his tires, and it doesn't seem to matter now. Max's position was that even the first incident was, like, caused in large part because he's taking so much out of the tires to stay ahead that, like, when he went to that corner, there just wasn't a lot of grip left. And so that sort of does track with what 
what unfolds here for the rest of the stint, which is, yeah, it, like, Max's car may just be, like, wearing, like, his, his grip level is just wearing down. Uh, throughout this in a way that like Lewis doesn't seem to be contending with uh, which is why that second sector two dis- that sector two advantage disappears because Lewis now is able to gain because of his speed all that time back in the other sectors and then the place where Max is making the, the pass impossible sector mm-hmm. two now he's not getting those clean access yeah uh, I, but- I can see us later in the race but the, at the time of the incident his tires were seven laps old so yeah like, that's yes <clears throat> you yes. Know. Uh, in any case, uh, what do we think of the most important thing of the week? Um, Toto Wolf completely losing any degree of like sophistication and doing a sort of a schoolboy point at the camera. <laughs> what the fuck was that? That was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. That was like he he just couldn't contain it anymore, and he's sick of that camera looking at him all through the race for the reaction shots, and he's just like ah. I'm gonna point. See, I told you, I told you we'd win. <laughs> Toto and Christian are both. Um, I don't know, man. It's it's just real asshole finance guy hours uh, here. Really, like the, the the degree to which these are both like they're very capable team principles, but they also just strike me as uh, the worst stereotypes of like what. C-suite suits can be where it's just like <laughs> total hyper competitive monsters. Um yeah. I think there there's a lot of that in their relationship and just their their overall vibe. Uh it's very funny. It sets us up anyway. Uh there wasn't much to report on for the rest of the 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 race to be honest. Gasly passed Akon into eighth. They almost touch on lap 60. Gasly putting on a bit of a run here gets past Alonso into seventh. Um trying to recoup I think some some uh some positions after a disappointing early stint in the race um the only other thing i will say about this race is that uh an absolute catastrophe for mclaren um mexico was was rough for them um but not only did we have norris having that incident on the at the start of the race unfortunately Danny ricardo didn't make it around for the race he had a dnf because of uh an uh, a power an issue with the power unit which they were sort of hypothesizing might have freaked mercedes out a little bit but obviously ultimately didn't um and lando did manage to squeak back into the points into 10th position before the checkered flag but the damage is done for them in in many ways um shall we get to the should we just take a breather and and get to the race results. What I will say as well is if you're listening to this and you're a little bit, there's a lot of anger and a lot of like, you know, I don't have a horse in this race. I intentionally with F1 don't support anyone as drivers who I like and don't like and all that sort of stuff. But when it comes to the leaders, I, I, I honestly don't care. I think Hamilton, I would love to see Verstappen win a championship. I think, you know, I'm not a massive necessarily fan of him as a, as a, I, I'm not a fan of any of them as like people necessarily. They're just like, characters in my life in many ways but i'd love to see him win i think you know he's he's driven an excellent race this year i think given the past like you know seven or eight years we've had it would be fantastic to see not mercedes not win but this was a weekend where you see hamilton puts it all out there why he is a seven-time champion and why many consider him the best f1 driver ever it's it's impossible to look at this weekend and say that he doesn't deserve a championship in the you know as much as max does this year i don't know but like 
he's it's there's a reason I this think, is going down to the last couple of races. I think until this weekend, I would have said pretty definitively that probably Max deserves the championship just outright, mm. and I kind of yeah. agreed with um. Oh gosh, uh, Dietrich, uh, when he was sort of saying that really, like, if if not for Max getting really unlucky in a few places, um, he would have this thing free and clear. Uh, like Baku being the big one, right? Where like he doesn't do anything wrong, mm. the car just like explodes uh, out from under him, and uh, he should have been able to like notch an easy win there and move that championship further out of reach. Now he got lucky that that Hamilton binned it uh, a minute later, but like by and large. Uh, Max has not made a lot of the mistakes that I think have sort of dogged uh, Lewis this year. Uh, the Silverstone incident is a 50-50 incident. Could have gone either way, but like Max gets completely taken out there um, yeah. in a race where he should have at least come away with points. So like, I, I think in terms of the merits, like whichever, whichever of these guys ends up winning, uh, it's absolutely like a a championship where you can point to various performances and say like they absolutely like earned that and dominated that i think with his performance hamilton changed it for me in that if he eked this out uh this year without a performance like that i might have said like man max did kind of just get unlucky and, and and screwed the season that was the sort of performance where it's like man lewis has still got it like on his yeah. day uh still like one of the best if not the best driver out there uh but yeah i i do i just do i do come out of this feeling like Sometimes there are incidents with Max where I like because remember he also got dinged by the stu- by the stewards for weaving on the straight, which was just amateur hour shit. Um, yeah, that was that was that 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 was was that on that was that a lap or two beforehand? later. Was it? It yeah, was after it was, the, it was yeah. after the major incident. Uh, yeah, he made and, like four or five moves. <laughs> right, and so this is yeah. after the stewards have kind of looked the other way on a questionable move, and then he is like zigzagging wildly uh, on the straight in a way that you're just not allowed to do. It didn't slow Hamilton up much at all, but it was just uh, it, it was kind of chintzy. And I think sometimes Max pulls those moves, but I think the main well, the I mean, main thing that's surprising here is the stewards are supposed to intervene. Yeah, totally. And, you know, that's the same mentality as the going wide on turn four, right? Is that you want to win, you got to push the limits. You know what I mean? Like, and, and yeah. some people don't like that. I don't, I don't begrudge Max for doing that. I can see how if you were, you know, got 44 written on your cap, you would, you would go like, oh, look, he's cheating. He's cheating. It's like, like, it's part of the game a little bit, as long as they're not like being dangerous. And I think, I think turn four for me was a, like he's lucky there's a lot of runoff there. They obviously know there's a lot of runoff there. Um, but yeah, uh, it looks like it's not the last we've heard from this incident. I would not be surprised. I don't know what they do though. Like uh, to me, I think giving him a penalty for the next race would be an overreach. I think if anything, a five second, but that puts him behind Vatas because of the end of the results. So let's let's just get into the race results here. Um, Hamilton wins the race. Uh, Verstappen's in second. Uh, Bottas, like I said. I think it's 3.1 seconds, it looks like, behind him in third. Perez uh, pitted and managed to get fastest lap, um, so stole that from... Who had it? Was it Hamilton? Yeah. Presumably, yeah. Um, On the last lap as he crossed the checkered uh, flag. Uh, As I said before, tremendous points haul for the Ferraris. Fifth for Leclerc, sixth for Sainz. Gasly in seventh, does well after a difficult start. Ocon in eighth, Alonso ninth. Decent weekend for Fernando, actually. He loves this track. Uh, Norris gets that singular point in tenth. Then we have Vettel in eleventh, Raikkonen in twelfth, uh, George Russell thirteenth, Giovinazzi fourteenth, 
Uh, terrific job by Raikkonen, considering he was at the back of the grid for this one after sprint. Um, very well done. Uh, Sonoda, 15th, nurses the car back around to somewhere in, in the middle there. Uh, Latifi, 16th. Mazepin, 17th. Schumacher, 18th. I didn't realize Mazepin was ahead of Shumi. Schumacher. Um, can we call him Shumi? I feel maybe I shouldn't call him Shumi quite yet. Uh, Ricardo and Stroll not finishing. And that was the Interlagos 2021 Grand Prix, a race we will talk about for many years. Let's check in on the driver's standings. Max Verstappen still in first with 332.5. Hamilton behind him currently with 318.5, which if I do the math is 14 points. That might change if... uh, there's a decent points difference between second and third, so it'll it'll come down by five or so. Um, Bottas then in third with 203, Perez in fourth with 178, Norris in fifth with 151, Leclerc in sixth with 148, Science in seventh with 139.5. They're nice and close there, the two Ferrari teammates. Uh, Ricardo in eighth with 105, Gasly in ninth with 92. Alonso in 10th with 62. Great year for Fernando. Ocon in the other Alpine in 11th with 50. Vettel in 12th with 42. Stroll in 13th with 26. Sonoda in 14th with 20. Russell in 15th with 16. Raikkonen in 16th with 10. Latifi in 17th with 7. Giovinazzi in 18th with 1. Schumacher, Kubica, and Mazepin rounding out. Uh, the standings and then if we go to the constructors lots of interesting stuff going on here mercedes in the lead 521.5 bottas was in the right spot these past two races uh red bull racing honda 510.5 so 11 points splitting the two of them ferrari now 287.5 in third position with mclaren mercedes a 256, which if I once again consult my calculator, is a 31.5 spread, which is quite a lot for third and fourth. Um, Alpine in fifth with 112. They are tied. Well, I think they actually are fifth based on um, uh, race positions, but they have the exact same points haul as Alphatari at the moment. 112 for both of them. Great battle there. Uh, Aston Martin in seventh with 68. Williams with 23 are in eighth position ninth is alfa romeo with 11 haas still pointless well i should say they are without points (laughs) rob we still have to talk about uh about uh uh, sorry not about in qatar so um what what news, if any, do we have? Do we have any news? Or? There's actually a lot of news this week, but we're just not going to get to most of it. Uh, so let's just go to some some quick top-line items here. Yeah, uh, Alfa Romeo announced that Giovinazzi, uh, to no one's surprise, is out. Uh, Guan Yuzhou is in. Very good. Uh, it's it's a move that a lot of people have seen coming. Uh, obviously, like Giovinazzi has not exactly set the world on fire, though he's had a lot of like good days. But the thing he can't compete with is the fact that like the arrival of a Chinese driver uh, with real racing chops in F1 uh, is just too rich a marketing opportunity, uh, both for the sport and for the team to pass up. Yeah. Uh, now. Uh, Guan Yu Zhou's uh, career is like he's one of those drivers who 
he's not like a top top prospect where you know shows up to junior formula and just uh notches like championships right away uh right now i think he's in his third year uh in like f2 and he is tied for second so like hasn't like set the world on fire but Mm -hmm. still appears to be like a very qualified and uh like sharp driver and Max was also somebody who did not have the most astonishing track record uh, heading into F1, and that's kind of been proven irrelevant. Uh, meanwhile, you know, Stoffel Van Dorn never did match his earlier promise uh, right. with, with F1 performance. So, uh, you know, in, in terms of that, like, I think it's, it's really probably reductive to say that, like, you know, they were just eager to get a Chinese driver in there for the Chinese market. Uh, this is sort of a thing that's taken a while to come together. Uh, it does leave Alpha in a really interesting place because you're going to have Valtteri there for on a two-year contract. Uh, first time mm-hmm. in ages he's been on a long-term, long-ish term contract. Uh, and then a rookie coming over into, uh, into F1. Though, crucially, uh, Joe is not a rookie when it comes to like European uh, open wheel racing. Like he left China early to come compete in open wheel uh, in Europe. And so like he's, he's been around this particular block uh, for a while, but Alvaro Romeo, either way, complete like flip of the driver lineup, completely different dynamics uh, next year. We'll see how that goes. Other big news. Um, I guess it's, it's not news yet, but it, it could be, um, F1's We Are Confident the Jetta Circuit Will Be Complete t-shirt is raising a lot of questions already answered by their t-shirt. Uh, so F1 sporting director uh, Steve Nielsen was checking out the Jetta Circuit and uh, he said they're up against it. They are, but they're really they're literally working 24-7 as they have been for quite a long time now. I That's saw some more photos. Hear, isn't this? Petrochemical states really working oh, yeah. the workforce to finish a, a sporting event. Terrific. Yeah, and he says, I saw some more photos this morning. Uh, by the way, that's like this morning, or maybe yesterday morning, but I saw some also, more photos, photos this morning. That's not... And know, they've made can... huge progress, but it's still a lot to do, so it's really going to be down to the wire, but they'll get it done. Everything we that... need to put the race on safely, we'll have. I'm confident of that. Well, Steve, so am I. If you feel good telling it to Autosport, then who am I to have any doubts? Telling it to yourself. I hope the pictures are like, you know when you... You know when you like are looking at like apartments and they have like photographs of the apartments, but they have like sort of like CG yeah, like they've staged it with like CG like sofas and stuff. I hope that's what it is. It's just like it's a road, but they have like a sort of a badly lit grandstand like <laughs> AR down to the side of it. Yeah, I'm I'm real curious to see one <laughs> if it even comes together and two like what is the actual state of that facility uh, day I'm of. Tell- oh man, I'm telling you the the, the the tracks that we have coming up are gonna are the biggest question mark on this whole thing it's a, what a wild card going into final uh, thing real uh, weird races. we'll have to keep an eye on it mm. so the website autocar had a story this week that audi was acquiring uh, mclaren's racing operation oh wow and mclaren released a statement saying that wasn't true um and so that there's been that there's been no change there um and so that's kind of been left in limbo. But the thing is, like, Audi, of course, is part of VW. 
we heard a couple weeks ago that Porsche was considering uh, getting in in the next few years. Yeah. I don't know if this would moot the Porsche thing, right? Because it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense for me that, like, VW Group would have two different arms uh, competing. I don't know if this would this would moot that or if this is they're debating which place to get in on the uh, on the sport. It sounds like either way what VW might be looking at to do more is um, get in with an existing partnership rather than feel rather than field an entirely new entrant. Uh, right. But either way, like this was a story that McLaren denied, uh, but like the scope of what they denied was a little bit murky as well. Um, it does it does suggest that maybe there were talks. Uh, but it does seem like McLaren, at least for the moment, is not being sold, not being acquired, uh, and VW Group's uh, plans for F1 remain up in the air. Yeah, a lot of movements, it seems like, just with all of the spending going on, with all the stuff we talked about two weeks back, with the you know the, the, the entry cap and all that, and how much it's worth for the teams to sell now against how much it is better for teams to wait a couple of years. Um it's wild how much movement there is. Um, really something else. Uh, are we done with news, you think? Yeah. Okay, let's head off to the Middle East then for the next three races. We have three races left in the calendar, folks. Qatar is the first one, uh, which is a circuit which we'll talk about in a second. It is a racing circuit which has existed for quite a while. Uh, MotoGP goes there every year. First race of the season. Um, we have Saudi Arabia after that, which is on the Jeddah Corinch, I think, circuit. Uh, the Jeddah Street Circuit. Um, uh, which is an unknown track to everyone, including F1, it sounds like. And then also then we are finishing at Yas Marina, as we have done so for a decade or more um, in the sunset of the Emirates. Uh, but we are off to Qatar this week for the... This was a triple header as well, wasn't it? It's yeah, crazy. I think so. It's crazy they're going from Brazil to Qatar. They're, they are arguably that on other sides so of the world. Yeah, that is... Because it's 11 hours between us and Qatar right now, so I don't know. Anyway, we're at the La Salle Circuit, which has been uh, a MotoGP circuit for quite a while. It was the season opener, of course, uh, this year in March. You can go back and watch the highlights if you want on YouTube. Um, we are 57 laps here. It's 5.4 kilometers. It's a funny one. It's only got one DRS straight, um, which is the start-finish rate, as you probably assumed. And then the rest of it is... It's a real MotoGP track. It is just turns and turns and turns all over the place. Um, so the best place for overtaking, uh, we can assume, is turn one, as obviously as it's the end of a, a start-finish straight. Um, the straight is about a kilometer long, so it won't be as long as, say, in Interlagos, where Hamilton was able to have, you know, it's always that last couple of meters is always the overtaking spot, right? So maybe it's not as guilt-edged uh, an overtaking spot but the rest of it is fairly turny so you would assume that this would be somewhere Red Bull would do better um there's a sort of a turkey-esque triple apex right-hander this is a clockwise track by the way so at least we're back to that their necks will feel better um so well yeah like I said like the like tornado turkey we've sort of an interesting little triple apex turn uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, lots of cornering, so the tires are going to be an issue here. Uh, it was last resurfaced in 2004, so it's got good grip. Um, and the abrasion there should be within, you know, it shouldn't be too crazy. I guess we'll have to see. Um, and we're doing this race at uh, nighttime, or kind of twilight, I guess. Uh, the day here will be hot and humid, nighttime. 
um they sort of drop down temperatures a little bit uh also like any good moto gp track there's gravel everywhere so runoff areas here are going to be rough for people um and there's a lot of turns so they're not going to want to drift too far out any contact or getting pushed out you know for stopping wants to you know make himself a little bit wide on turn four here um it might mightn't end up so pretty for everyone uh the temperatures then for the race week um i checked beforehand there is a zero percent chance of rain we're basically in mid 80s during the day that's around 30 degrees uh, centigrade mid 70s at night it's around 25 degrees centigrade so kind of similar to what we get in yas marina it's going to be hot during the day cool in the evenings uh for race times and these are pacific times uh, the race is on at 6 a.m uh, which is, like I said, 11 hours from local time. So it's 7 p.m. is when they're doing it. Uh, sorry, practice on Friday, I should say, is at 2.30 a.m. Pacific. Practice 2 is at 6 a.m. Then practice 3 on Saturday, 3 a.m. with qualifying at 6 a.m. So nice 9 o'clock for you on the East Coast, Rob. And then the race, like I said, 6 a.m. Um, but evening time, local time. And it's 7, it's 7 and they're fairly close to the equator and they're getting down there so they will have a little bit of daylight i suspect um before the race starts or at least uh certainly quali no qualies at the same time the day before okay yeah so th- it should be getting dark and it'll be it'll be proper nighttime by the time that race is coming to a close um it's floodlit like yas marina and everywhere else it'll be fine motor gp races uh on the sort of inverse time of the year so but similarly they they also race at nighttime when it's March. And that's that. That's the uh that's the the next race. It's a real wild it's a tilkadrome. Card. It is a tilkadrome. Is it a tilkadrome? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean it looks like a tilkadrome, just look at the layout. It's got lots of turns. It's very turny. It kind of reminds me of Portimao or something, where you've got one straight and then you're kinda whoo wiggly off in the wiggle. Doesn't even have like at least Bahrain has that little straight in the middle. You know, well it has two actually on the back as well. But even the even the back as they're coming back towards the circuit, it's all turns. It's they don't really you know, maybe some of those turns you can take at pace though. I'm not I'm not quite sure. Bike bikes do things differently. They don't reach the same sort of top speeds as fast as F1 cars. Um as for fantasy, let's check in on our on our top five here. Let's do as we enter the the uh, ending of the season um speedy race team um from the philippines in fifth splash and dash from the united kingdom in fourth it's turbo time from north america in third christian hornier in second that's from canada and our winner at the moment from turkey tema one leading the fantasy standings if you'd like to email us, shiftf1podcast.gmail.com or f1.co slash emails. Sorry, we usually do emails in the post-race, but there is a pre-race happening right now. So, well, actually, other way around, right? Um, anyway, this is both, so we haven't been able to do them. Uh, but send those emails in, and I will, of course, go back and check out some of the ones for the past couple of weeks, too. Uh, you can follow us at shiftf1podcast on Twitter. I'm at Daniel Dwyer. He is Rob Zachney. Drew is at Drew Scanlon. I forgot to do Race Around the World. That's the thing. I knew it. There's always something. This is why we need Drew back, Rob. Well, there's no racing. Is there no racing? No, I don't know. Probably is. I don't there's know always racing. racing. Consult your local newspaper for details on the racing. Um, or watch Michael Fassbender's uh, Le Mans series, which is getting pretty good. I can't wait for this week's episode. See how he did. 
And that's it. Rob, any final thoughts on a wacky races weekend <laughs> at Interlagos? Don't like. Uh, I have no expectations the rest of the season. I have no, no idea what. Like, first of all, most of the tracks are left. Don't know. I don't know what to expect from any of them because even uh, you know Abu Dhabi's been revised. Uh, I don't know what to make of the fact that the Mercedes appeared to like enter some sort of like super cyan mode uh, where it's just <laughs> unstoppable. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be a form that's maintainable. Uh, yeah, so I'd like, you know, I my, my gut says every time Mercedes bounces back like this, Red Bull sort of opens it back up and uh, they, they put things firmly back under control. But I have no idea. Very, very interested in seeing how the rest of this pans out, though I'm not optimistic we're going to see anything uh, as good as Interlagos. Yeah, I'm with you. I am I am going to plead the fifth on on the speculation. I think uh I think I the one lingering question I have is is outside of the DRS stuff, there does there's something in that Mercedes car. And I'm not I'm not saying that something outside of the rules or anything, but but it's I don't think Interlagos is like was like a fit for that type of car and it just clicked and i also don't think you get that type of like people were some people were talking about like the whole oh they got a new engine the engine doesn't account for the grip and the cornering and all that sort of stuff that was going on like i'm interested to see if whatever happened at interlagos if the same sort of performance out of i guess as you said hamilton's car but even bottas was way closer to verstappen at the end of this race than he has been so I'm just interested to see if that car has had, you know, whatever upgrades they've done to it or work they've done to it is is going to be for the rest of the season. Because as you said, it's it's a real yeah super saiyan moment. Like to I think see there's close the gap. There's only one explanation for I think what we saw, and it's help from beyond. <laughs> it is it is the spirit of Senna reaching down oh, from no. heaven and putting his hand on Lewis's <laughs> back. And maybe on his back wing, and helping lift him uh, to the to the front of the grid. Do you know there's no camera angle of of a of a marshal handing the Brazilian flag to Lewis? Oh may, my god! May, may, I know, I know. Or it just materialized. Yeah, it just <laughs> on that bombshell. Let's leave it there, Rob. Always a pleasure. Um, uh, we hope we'll have drew back next week and excited to talk to him about all of this um thank you all for supporting our podcast and listening to our podcast um especially those not especially but it, i i, I want to give a little shout out to all of the po- folks who suffered with us through many seasons of not prote- of of by this stage we're trying to keep ourselves interested you know <laughs> like uh this year is uh certainly a special year in f1 and you know outside of all of the battles and the who you want to win i hope we can all take a breather and just enjoy this most rare thing which is an f1 title going down to the wire Uh, thank you so much and we will see you next week